Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Hey, I'm grateful that you're here. I'm grateful that we are in week two of a series entitled We Are Connect Church. Really, it's answering the why behind what we do in order to excite and to empower people to ask this question, how can I get in on what God is doing in the life of his church? How can I get in on what God's doing? Now, the truth is, is that one of the questions oftentimes that come when we talk about the church is really, what what does God expect of me? Is God, is God okay with me just kind of coming and warming a seat? Is, is God okay with me checking off the box that I actually, uh, I actually came to a church gathering together? Is God okay with really me just existing in the church? Is God okay with that? And one of the things that I want us to do is I want us to go back to a passage that we kind of kicked off with uh, just uh, last week, and that's Hebrews chapter 10. And I want us to begin to ask this passage, this portion of scripture, that question. And really, what is what has God got for me in the life of this church? Is it more than just showing up? Now, as we read on um, the author of Hebrews here in Hebrews chapter 10, we've got to remember a couple of things. Well, well, number one, that there are a lot of people in this time coming to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They were converting from Judaism and they were giving their life to Jesus. And, and while that was incredible and great in their eternity, and now they had a relationship with the living God, here was the problem. A lot of their families were rejecting them. A lot of their families were casting them out, not only of their homes, but a lot of their families were casting out these believers out of their communities. And we talked about this last week. The context of Hebrews chapter 10, some families were actually holding funerals for their loved ones who were coming to faith and trust in Jesus Christ and said, because of Jesus, you are dead to me. And so what did we see begin to happen? We saw a lot of believers who were saying, you know what, I'm just gonna gonna stop gathering together. I'm gonna stop doing the church thing. I'm just gonna go back home. And so the author of Hebrews is writing and he's encouraging these very people who are suffering greatly because they love and they followed after Jesus. And here's what he says. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and to good works. So we get a beautiful picture of the church, right? This idea that in church, we, we, as we gather together, as we exist as the church, as a people, not a place, right? As we exist as the church, one of the things we ought to be doing is, is stirring one another on in love and in good works and serving. So one of the things we got to see in the life of the church is, is love and these good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing. You know, we begin to see this people as persecution rose, they, they struggled with the idea of even meeting together because people would then know, hey, maybe they're in Christ. And what would people say and what would people do? But it says this, but encouraging one another all the more as the day approaches, right? As the day draws near. So what day is he talking about? Well, the day of Jesus' return. It just says, with this insight, this idea that Jesus is coming again, man, the church ought to be guilty of spurring and stirring one another on to love and good works. And we ought to be meeting together, making much of Jesus together, encouraging each other, all the more as we know this reality, that Jesus is coming back. And until that great day, may we be found guilty of being this very church that we find here in Hebrews chapter 10. And here's what we understand. We're understanding that the gathering together, the assembling of ourselves together as the church, 
Hebrews chapter 10 leaves it as not an option for the believer, but, but a matter of obedience, not a, a have to obedience, but a, but a get to obedience in Jesus Christ. Last week, we f- framed up our study this. We asked the question, why church? Why gather together? And here was the framework of our time last week, that God created us from community, that God created us for community, and that God saved us to the community that is his church in Jesus Christ. And that understanding, and what would God have us to do in the life of this family, in the life of this community that is called the church? Does he expect us to more than just exist? in the life of this church. Well, I love this as you drove on campus today. One of the things that you probably first saw was that there were some very crazy people out in the parking lot waving at you or bringing you in, right? Um, you, you walked in a door and there's people standing at a cold door to welcome you and to say hi to you, to smile at you and just to thank you for being here. Maybe you walked over to the coffee bar and there you got some coffee and some people have been here really early just trying to get that stuff ready for you. Maybe you checked in a, one of your children and at the children's desk knowing that there was somebody behind there helping you check in and there was people already in place downstairs that were, that were serving and, and watching your kids and pointing them to Jesus. And you walk into a room like this and lights are on, music's playing, screen stuff's going, cameras are going, all of which were, were done by people who showed up really early this morning uh, just to serve. And then, and then we've been led in worship by a team of people who who have spent all week pouring over songs, looking at music. They were here at 7 o'clock this morning and the choir was here at 8 o'clock this morning in order to serve. You sat in rows that were kind of nice and neat and you sat down and there's a pen and there's a couple cards there done by volunteers who just love to serve. And here's what we come to see at Connect Church is that, man, it takes a lot of people serving just to make a, a service like this happen just to make something like this happen for you and for your family. We begin to see this beautiful picture of a lot of people with different gifts and abilities and talents coming together just saying, you know what? And we just want to serve Jesus together. But you know, my history in church, here's what I begin to understand. And, I, and I've always, um, always been a part of a big church. I've always served on staff at very large churches, thousands of people. And, and here's what I've always been overwhelmed by, is that 10% of the church serves 100% of the church. And honestly, it's probably less than that. Typically, even in the church I just left, I dearly love, less than 10% of the people out of 8,000 members, less than 10% of the people in the life of that church ever bothered to serve. And I begin to ask that question, what, what's going on in our culture and our community where, where service, whether it's inside the church or outside the church, is just not something we're, we're mindful of or part of. And here's a couple of reasons I just came up with. You know, sometimes you and I, if we're not careful, we, we get bought into the consumer culture, right? Like where it just needs to be for me and by me. It's this self-important culture that says my needs are above the needs of, of everybody else's. It's this self worship culture that says that my happiness, my happiness is the chief end of everybody else's being, right? Like the, the goal of your life should be to make me happy. And we have a self-worship culture. How many country music fans do we have? Raise your, yeah, I mean, a bunch of pagan. Anyway, no, I listen, I love, I love country music. Do y'all remember that Toby Keith song? 
I want to talk about me, want to talk about my, want to talk about number one on my, me, my, what I think, what I like, what I know, what I want, what I see. I like talking about you, 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 usually, but occasionally, I want to talk about me, right? You know, it's amazing. I love that song, by the way. You know, it's amazing. We bring that thought line into our relationship with Jesus, and we bring that into the life of the church. And so sometimes if we're not careful, we show up and we go, I want to talk about me. And you better talk about I. Because if your message isn't about number one on my, me, my, what I think, what I like, what I know, what I want, what I see, I just find me another place to go. Or that music doesn't meet my needs. Now find me someplace else because if we're not careful, my happiness is the greater good of all people. And so how do we, compa- how do we combat that type of thinking in the life of the church? How, how, do we, how do we drive out that type of consumerism that creeps into the life of the church? And it is very simple today as Scripture is going to teach us, and that's with this idea that saved people serve people. You catch that? Saved people serve people. Now let's just break this down real quick. Saved people, who are those? Well, those are people who've placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, given in their life, and said, God, I'm yours. Save people. And this idea of, of serving people. Now, let's talk about serving real quick. You say, what does it mean to serve people? It is that very idea in Philippians chapter 2, where we consider others even better than ourselves, right? And a couple weeks ago, we looked at um, what our, our vision was as far as the church, but also our connection points. How do we accomplish this vision? We love God, we love people, and we make disciples, Matthew chapter 22. And we begin to learn this about Jesus and the greatest commandment and what it looks like to follow after Jesus. And Jesus said this pretty much, love God with everything. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Love him with everything. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we begin to understand this thought line that as we begin to love God with everything, we begin to love what God loves most and that is people. And that is where this idea of serving comes into the picture. Because what begins to happen is we love God with everything. We begin to love what God loves most and that is people. We begin to look for ways that you and I can tangibly love people. That we can on purpose love and serve people. But hear me, in the context of the church, in the context of the kingdom of God, service is important, but service must meet itself to an end, and that is this. Ultimately, as I serve somebody, as I meet their need, as I love on them, ultimately, that service points them to the even greater love that is Jesus. I can feed a man for a day, and I will, but honestly... Jesus can feed him for a lifetime. I could give man a drink today, and I could, I could quench his thirst, but I know this, that the thirst of his soul can only be quenched by Jesus forever. And so, as I serve people and I love people, I do so in hopes and the expectation to point them to Jesus who can save them forever. My mind is is drawn to a passage in Matthew chapter 20. Do you remember this conversation with Jesus? And forgive me, I'm gonna take a drink for a second. All right, Matthew chapter 20. I'm gonna sit down just for a second too. Matthew chapter 20. Um, Jesus has been approached by James and John's mom. Um, I I love this story, because isn't this mom? 
So James and John's moms, right, two followers of Jesus, come up to him. And she says, listen, Jesus, these guys have left everything to follow you. When your kingdom comes, I want them to sit at your right and your left. Isn't that a good mom? Isn't that what moms do? It's like, hey, teacher, listen. I know my boys are a little rebellious, but I want them to win the blue arrow, right? Or the blue ribbon. I want them to win the greatest prize. They want the best trophy for them. They're the best. They should start on the team. Like, that's just a good mom. Well, we see James and John's mom. She does the same thing with Jesus. Hey, when your kingdom comes, I want them to sit at your right and your left. And Jesus says, well, wait a second. Are they willing to drink from the cup I'm gonna drink from? Yeah, hey, listen, we are. Well, it's not for me to give. This is for, for the Father in heaven to give. Well, what happens is the other 10 disciples hear of this and they get ticked off at James and John and their mama for trying to get positions of honor with Jesus in heaven when his kingdom comes. And so all of a sudden, you have this family feud that's going on. Disciples are ticked at James and John. I'm sure James and John are like, Mom, why'd you do that? You know? And there's this whole family feud going on. Kind of makes your fight this morning getting to church for a whole lot better, doesn't it, right? And so Jesus then stops them and says, hey, listen, we're arguing over positions here like the rest of the world does. And he stops them and says this. When it comes to this power struggle, he says, this is not so with you in Matthew chapter 20. And I know what's on the TV. I better get it on there for you, just in case you need to see. But in Matthew chapter 20, it says this. He says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become greatest among you must be your servant. And he goes on to say this. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know what's amazing? How Jesus addresses this power struggle between his disciples. A lot of hurt feelings. A lot of people going, hey, listen, it's about me being first. You know what Jesus does? He says, not only with my words, but look at my life. For I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. He says, I, in fact, so much so that I gave my life as a ransom for many. Like I gave my life to serve all mankind. But just put their faith and their trust in me. And you know what Jesus is teaching us in this feud that was happening with his disciples? You ready? That saved people serve people. As safe people serve people. You know, Jesus says, don't just look at my words, but look at my very life. So the question is, how can we be great servants in the great service of our great God? You ready? Hey, saved people, serve people. Now, now the context of this in Hebrews chapter 10, even what Jesus is teaching here in Matthew chapter 20, and we've got to be careful because the great injustice here is just to say that this message is about serving in the church. So I'm going to welcome, I'm going to hold a baby, all those things. Listen, no, church life and serving in the life of the church as we gather together is just a part of the overall service picture of one's life. The context of this type of service is loving God with everything and loving God what God loves most, and that is people and serving those people in the midst of our everyday lives, right? It's more important, especially as we leave this place and we serve people that exist within the walls of our home. It's the type of service that not only exists under the roofs of our homes, but exists in the community. Hey, students, it's the type of call that says this, that when you go on the campus of your school, it's not just showing up because you have to by law, but it's showing up because God's giving you an influence and an opportunity to make your school one of the greatest mission fields you'll ever know. And to get busy serving 
people. Because saved people serve people. It's going to your job tomorrow that maybe you can't even stand. But man, it's a job you have to have right now. And instead of going in there loathing and just surviving and saying this, listen, I love God with everything. There's a purpose for me where God has planted me right now. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to love what God loves most. I'm going to love people and I'm going to serve people. And I'm going to start looking at my job as a great mission field. I'm going to serve people. It looks like every interaction in our community is a chance to serve people. And so just in case you think the context of today's message is, how can I get you to go make some coffee out there, which is important and a big deal. I'm talking about a service that transcends every area of our lives. And Joe, I think we have a video. Have you guys ever watched uh, Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe? Has anybody ever seen that show? I love that show, right? What he does is he travels around the world and he finds the dirtiest jobs that people have to do. And he just goes and joins them for the day. And it's a hilarious show. I love the show. In fact, there was an anniversary of the show. And he stood in a, in a trash pile and he sang a song with one of his producers. And I just wanted to give you a taste of, of just one of those songs real quick. Joey, if you could play that for us. Now everyone who's got a job has got his dues to pay. Working for a paycheck and getting through the day. But if you're bored or otherwise inclined to be a slob, grab some boots and lose that suit and get a dirty job. Fight a fire or tread a tire or ride a garbage truck. Save a seal or make some meal or manage miles of muck. Misbehave inside a cave with 40 million fats. Find some friendly roaches in a sewer filled with I love, I love it. Listen to this course. look around. Down the street or up the stairs or even underground. You don't need to borrow bag and you don't need to rob. All you got to do is get yourself a dirty job. All you got to do is get yourself a dirty job. Man, isn't that great? Don't you want to sing that for worship next week, right? Uh, we, can, we can make that into a worship song somehow. Here's what I love about that show is it teaches us the most important jobs that you do requires you getting your hands dirty. Can I tell you that that is true in the kingdom too? That the most important job that you and I have as we serve and as we love people, that it is going to require you and I to get our hands dirty and we learn from the very best in this. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 13. And we're going we're gonna to jump in on, on the very last supper that Jesus would have on earth before his death. Man, a very important supper with his disciples as they came together and as they ate together. And as we talk about the context of save people, serve people, we have this thought line here that if we really are going to serve people, we're going to have to roll up our sleeves. We're going to have to get our hands dirty. Why? Because, man, all of our lives at times are a dirty mess. And there's so much brokenness, so much heartache. There's so much mess that serving people, he's going to have to roll up our sleeves and get our hands dirty. I love this passage in John chapter 13. And Jesus, it says this, it was just before the, the Passover meal. Now let's just stop there for a minute because I need to frame this up because just that statement in and of itself is a reminder of the gospel. The Passover meal was celebrated back in Exodus chapter 12. In fact, let me just show you this passage, you ready? In Exodus chapter 12 says this, on that same night, 
God says, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all of the gods of Egypt. Now, let me hold off here. The people of God have been enslaving for generation after generation. The Pharaoh, who thought himself to be a god, was standing in the way of letting God's people go. And so God raised up Moses, and God was going to save his people, but Pharaoh continued to hold his grip around God's people. And so what do we see God do? God begins to send plague after plague, his judgment upon Pharaoh to soften his heart and to loosen his grip on the people of God. And now we see the final blow. And that is the death angel is going to take its place all throughout Egypt and take the firstborn. And it says here in verse um, 13, that I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the house where you are. And when you see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Now, as we set up this passage and save people, serve people of John chapter 13, understand that it's Jesus who's sitting at the table with his disciples and the meal that they are eating celebrates this event in Exodus chapter 12. And here's what's so cool about that. You ready? Jesus Christ the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the Passover Lamb himself who shed his blood for us so that death would pass over us and that you and I could have life, now sits with his disciples right before he is to be slaughtered. There's a lot of things you discuss at your last meal. There's a lot of things you do. But we learn from Jesus here that there was nothing more important to him than serving people, even at this moment. Look at verse one, um, part B says this, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Hey listen, that's putting it mildly. He is fixing to be tortured for our sins, crucified for our transgressions. Jesus is fixing to die the most horrible death in all of history for you and for me. And the Bible says that he knew that the hour had come. Other times in scripture, you read even in Matthew and in gospels like John, you would find that Jesus would say, hey, the hour's not yet come, but now he knows the hour, the hour is here. And you know what I love about Jesus in passages like this? Is we understood this about Jesus. What Jesus knew determined what he did. What Jesus knew determined what he did. You see, Jesus was bought into God's rescue plan for all of humanity. And Jesus knew that to be true. Jesus knew that to be the only way. And so we find Jesus, even at this last supper here in John chapter 13, we find Jesus marching towards the cross. Hey, church, you want to be used of God? You want to see God use the life of this fellowship in our community to accomplish incredible things? You ready? Let what we know begin to determine what we do. Let what we buy into and what we believe begin to determine how we act and how we love and how we serve people. And you know what? When that happens, church, watch out. God will begin to accomplish and continue to accomplish in us what he desires. And we will see some of the incredible things of God together. What Jesus knew determined what he did. Let me ask you something. Do what you believe and what you're bought into, does it determine what you do in your everyday? The hour had come and what Jesus knew determined what he did and he continued towards the cross. I, I love this passage here. And it says this, that, that he knew soon he would go and he would leave the Father. But watch this. Having loved his home, who are in the world, 
He loved them to the end. I love that phrase, he loved them to the end. In the Greek, that phrase means he loved them to the uttermost. He, he loved them as much as he possibly could. And by the way, we're talking about love himself, Jesus. And here's what we begin to find about his love. What we see from his love is that it is a love that is unfailing, undeterred, untainted. It is undeniable, it is unlimited, and it is absolutely unbelievable. Despite their sin, despite their failure, despite their soon unbelief and unfaithfulness, the Bible says this about Jesus, that he loved them to the very end. He had an undying love for men who would soon deny him. And we find an incredible love that he loved them to the very uttermost. As we continue on in our passage, the evening meal is in progress. I'm reminded of, of, of a story of Mother Teresa. I love Mother Teresa. I love the ministry she had. I love the stances she took. I mean, she was just a great old little lady, if you ever study her. In 1989, she was in Phoenix, Arizona to help open a home for the poor that she had built. During her brief visit, she had a, a radio interview with the number one radio station in Phoenix, KTAR. And as she was talking with the announcer on air, soon they went to a commercial break and the announcer kind of off, off the mic said, hey, Mother Teresa, listen, I'm inspired by what you're doing. What can I do to help you? What, what can I do to help your ministry and what you're doing here? And listen to what she said. He thought she was gonna say, well, hey, raise money. Hey, give. Money, organize people to give money. You know what she said to him? In the greatest platform in radio, there in that, that arena, here's what she said. She said, yes, there's something you can do. Find someone nobody else loves and love them. If he, how, how is it that I can be a great servant in the great service of our great God? How, how can I be a saved people who loves people? Find somebody that nobody else loves and love them. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Hey, hey, by the way, can I just teach you something here? Anytime that you are prompted in your spirit, any, anytime you are prompted in your life to act or to do in a way that is contrary to Jesus, that is contrary to faith and trust in Jesus, that is contrary to the word of God, no matter how you spin it, understand this, that you are prompted by the enemy if it finds itself contrary to the word of God. You say, well, who's the enemy? It can be Satan himself, but it can also be a sin nature that seeks to destroy you. And we see both of these aspects at play in Judas's life. But Jesus had known that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Now watch this. So he got up from the meal and he took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And watch what the Bible says here. And after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I'm amazed at this scene. I'm amazed at who sits before Jesus as he takes the action of a servant, and not just any servant, because even in that day, when the master of the house would invite people to come and to have a, a dinner with him to celebrate a Passover meal, he stationed a servant at the door. 
And it couldn't even be a Jewish servant because this job was even too lowly for even a Jewish servant. But he would station somebody there at the door with a towel and a basin of water, and that person's job was to wash everybody's feet. Now listen, I hate feet. I hate that job. If I were to stand out there today and wash every one of your feet coming on in here, it wouldn't even touch the nastiness of what took place at that meal. You know what the disciples have been doing all day? They have been walking all around town on a dusty road. They have been walking on a, a road that was trafficked by animals all day. And here's the deal. And that's exactly where the animals stayed. And everything they left behind was on the road. And they had walked through it. They had been on all day. Their feet were dirty. And they were dusty or filthy. And instead of Jesus assigning somebody to the door, he takes the towel and he starts washing their feet. Can you imagine as Judas sat down, 30 pieces of silver in his pocket, having already betrayed Jesus and Jesus knew it? You know what Jesus didn't do? He didn't smack his feet out of the bowl. He didn't call him out in that moment. Jesus washed his feet. You know, I can imagine some of us would go, 30 pieces of silver? That's not a lot to portray Jesus. And then sometimes we consider we do it for a lot less every day. And Jesus washes our feet. I can imagine Peter sitting down, putting his seat in the bowl. Peter, who Jesus knew in just moments, would deny him time and time again, would curse and yet Jesus washed his feet. I love what uh, Andy Stanley asked of this question. He said this, what do you do when you realize that you're the most powerful person in the room? Do you know that that was every room that Jesus walked into? He was the most powerful person at this Passover meal here in John chapter 13. What did Jesus do when he realized he was the most powerful person in the room? He exchanged his title for a towel. And he served men who all but would abandon him in the toughest chapters of his life. A couple of weeks ago, I'm, I'm going to cough, so I'm going <coughs> to... A couple of weeks ago, I shared with you a story. I was in Dominica, a Caribbean island, and, and I showed you pictures of, of me uh, baptizing some men in a septic tank. If you weren't here, it was... Very weird. Um, but I, I baptized some, some prisoners in the septic tank. It was really cool. But the whole reason we were down on this little poor island was we were bringing shoes to every child on the entire island. And so we collected shoes. We had it shipped over. And, and we, did, we did this awesome ministry with Samaritan's Feet where uh, we'd work with local churches and schools and we would just drive our, our buses through the land and we'd go to the schools. And you know what happened? We would take a basin of water. We would fill it up. And we take some brand new shoes. Now, most of the kids did not have this size shoe. This is my size shoes. I'm a size 14, um, also known as clown size. But anyway, but what we do is, is honestly, it was so cool. We would sit them down in front of us. And, and really, what would happen is, is they would sit down in the chair. And we would talk to them. They spoke English. One of the only Caribbeans that really just majored in that. And they were really good at it. We'd sit them down in front of us in a chair. And there was a basin of water. And they would put their feet in the water. Now, now hear me, church. Most of the children had no shoes on their feet at all, ever. This was the first pair of shoes, first time socks would ever touch their feet. And they played all day, every day, with no shoes on their feet. 
And so we'd sit down and we'd talk with them and, and we would take out their brand new pair of shoes and we said, man, you like it? And man, they loved it. Their, their eyes were lit. They just couldn't believe they were getting a pair of shoes. And we sat down and, and we began to wash their feet and tell them the story of Jesus doing so. I mean, it was just really cool to watch how God opened their hearts to Jesus just by putting on and serving and putting on a pair of shoes. And, but I'll never forget the first kid's feet that I put in the water. They, they, they were the dirtiest pair of feet I'd, I'd ever seen. And as I begin to put them in the water and I begin to wash their feet and the caked mud begin to move, I noticed that even in this eight-year-old boy, his feet were terribly damaged. They were cut to pieces. They were calloused like I had never seen. And there were parasites that had embedded themselves in his feet. I remember as I washed his feet, I thought, man, I didn't want a part of this. I'm going to get sick. Even just touching these feet. I watched this boy as he cried. His first brand new pair of shoes. I got to tell him about, about Jesus. And what's amazing is, is the dirtiness of his feet, the messiness of his life, and great poverty. All of that began to melt away as I began to see how the story of Jesus began to change his heart and his life. And you know what I'm reminded of? When saved people serve people, you get your hands dirty. And it may not be the dirty feet of an eight-year-old boy who needs a pair of shoes, but it may be the dirtiness of a life of a man who's been addicted for years to a substance, and he's doing everything he can to find freedom in Jesus Christ. It may be the person who their entire life is marked by bad decisions, who just needs somebody to love them and somebody to point them to Jesus. Safe people serving people means that we get our hands dirty. You know what amazes me about Jesus here in John chapter 13? Is that at no other point in history, there's no other precedent in the Bible or in ancient history that we can find the writings of any leader who washes the feet of his followers. This is the first time in all of history. What do you do when you realize you're the most powerful person in the room? You know what Jesus teaches us? You lay down your title and you pick up your towel and you serve people. He was the sovereign taking the place of a servant. Here was the one who held all things in his hand, picking up a towel. Here was the one whose death would wash away the sins of humanity, and yet he washes dirty feet. The one who dried the earth from a global flood now dries the feet that he washed. He was the greatest man in all of history with the greatest title in all of history, and he cared more about the towel in his hand than the title that he held. Can you imagine the color of the water after he had washed all 12 of the disciples' feet that day? Can you imagine how dirty that water was? Hey, all the more. How dirty was the hearts of the ones he washed? And Peter, who would deny him three times, Judas, who had already betrayed him, 
You have Andrew and Bartholomew, James and Thaddeus and Matthew and Thomas and James and Philip and Simon who soon would abandon him. And yet he teaches us in that moment the greatest thing he could do was to serve people. I, uh, I'll never forget my brother's first son. My brother had the first kid in the family. He was always a show-off, and, and he brown noser. But um, I'll never forget his first baby shower. I did everything I could to avoid it, everything I could. I think I faked a sickness. But anyway, I did everything I could to get out of it. But he told me this story. He said, I went to my first baby shower. And he said, it was the first Sevierville in their nice parlor. I mean, I love that parlor area. He said, everybody was coming by going, congratulations, I'm so excited for you and all that good stuff. And, and he was just so grateful. He said, I'll never forget, I saw an older lady walk in a room, and she had a gift, and it's as if she V-lined at me angry. And he thought, what am I going to do? I, mean, I might have to fight this woman in my baby shower in the church, you know? She was mad. You can see it. She came up and shoved the gift in his face. And here's what she said to him. Well, I hope you like poop, because you're going to be up to your elbows in it, and walked off. And he just stood there and was like, what just happened? What, what did I do? I mean, he told me that story. Man, we have laughed about that story, and we relive that story all the time. But you know what? I'm four kids into this thing. She was right. <laughs> I understand the anger. Like, she got it right. Up to our elbows in it, right? You know what the truth is? Is that when you decide to be a safe people who serve people, you're going to be up to your elbows in it in a lot of people's lives. But you know what? There's no greater honor than to be used by God to serve people with the messiest lives. You know Why? Because God looked through our mess and he loved us and he served us. So much so that he gave his life as a ransom for my life and for your life. Safe people serving people means getting our hands dirty. And here's the question. How dirty are your hands? Better yet, church, how clean are your hands? You know, I get to the end of the week and my hands are pretty clean. I've not loved a whole lot of people that week. Saved people serve people. Now, there's this thought line in the church as we kind of close it up that says this. Man, I have nothing. I have no service really to offer people. While that statement seems shrouded in humility, it really betrays the Christ in you that has given you all spiritual gifts. Imagine what it says here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Look what it says. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Here's what happens a lot of times in the life of the church. Showing up becomes sometimes a lot about us. Whereas serving others makes everything about Jesus. And about other people. Can I, can I close with this story? Um, I read a story from generations ago in Kentucky. Of a pastor who decided to go down to the courthouse every week. And he'd hold up a sign that simply said this. Free hugs. Now this was pretty inventive back then. You go to New York City and you see this everywhere you go, right? Don't hug them. Um, 
pretty ingenious back then, generations ago. So you have this white pastor on the courthouse, and he's just holding his sign up, just hugging anybody that wanted a free hug. Well, he tells the story of one day, an African-American older lady with all of her possessions in a shopping cart walked up to him. He knew that she was homeless because she could tell just by the dirt that was on her. And she'd spend her days walking the streets and at night sleeping on the ground. Now he had a heart for her. And I'm going to tell you something, that's a big deal because in that culture, in that time, what was fixing to take place should never have been taking place, sadly. But he looked at her in the eye and she said, she says, sir, what does your sign say? He dropped the sign. He didn't even read it to her. And he put his arms around her and just grabbed a hold of her and bear hugged her. For more than a minute, just grabbed hold of her and hugged her. And as he pulled away, he looked at her and she was weeping. He said, he said ma'am, I'm I'm so sorry. She said, no, no, no. She said, I can't remember the last time anybody's touched me because I'm so dirty. He reached out. He started a conversation and he hugged her again and again and he pointed her to Jesus. What's amazing was that there might have been some dirt on her clothes because of, of where she lived and where she were. But Jesus had made her clean in her heart. And he used a guy holding a sign, a saved people to serve people who wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. So my question to you, church, is this as we close out today. You ready to roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty? Maybe in, maybe in the life of this church, but this only a reflection of what your life has lived in serving Jesus in your home, in your community, and in this world. Are you ready to, to roll up your sleeves and to get your hands dirty in loving the mess that is sometimes people's lives? Because remember how Jesus loved us through our mess and still does. Save people, serve people. You ready? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.